Athletic Brewing. I cracked open an Upside Dawn Golden Athletic Brew. And let me say this. No matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor? It's athletic. Award-winning styles? It's athletic. Huge variety? It's athletic. Fit for all times. That's a registered trademark, guys. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere, without ever slowing down your summer. Beach days, music festivals, swim meets, camping, late nights, early mornings, literally wherever summer takes you. And here's the best part to me, zero hangovers the next day. Mm -hmm. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer or brew you need to know. Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. Let's be honest, there's 29 NBA teams and then there's a G League roster with a few stars. They have a math problem offensively. Saturdays are the most fun day of the week. And with that, you get the most fun pod right here on the Athletic NBA show. It's called the Saturday Slam and Jam. You'll hear me, Andrew Schlecht, and my co-host Alex Spears break down the past week of NBA basketball Bring on a smart beat writer to give you the lowdown on their team. And then we have a trivia game, Andrew versus the beat, where I just try not to humiliate myself. So when you're raking your leaves, brewing your coffee, or just taking care of stuff around the house, listen to Saturday Slam and Jam right here on the Athletic MBA Show. Right in your podcast face. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Where the group that works like they do, the group that embraces some of our mantras we talk about getting better every day we talk about playing together when you do those things you end up on a stage like this for our city of milwaukee nba champions yeah it's big time this is nerd she wrote with your host dave dufour with mo tequila are you ready to be entertained Hello and welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. It's Friday. I'm Dave DeFore, and that means it's Nerder She Wrote. Seth and Moe are here as they are each and every week. A little bit of business up front. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show. Get access to The Athletic and all the pods ad-free for only $3.99 a month. Go do it now. The holidays are coming up. And I really can't think of a better gift for sports fans. I mean, you get to read Seth's part now. You get to listen to this podcast with no ads. What's better than that? Also, hey, guess what happened a couple days ago? We had a book release. The Midrange Theory, now available in stores or on Amazon. You could probably do next day. Prime members, I'm sure. One day shipping. If you want to read The Midrange Theory, now's a great, great time to buy it. You can get it on Kindle. Right, Seth? Have you done an audio book for this? I have have not done an audio book yet. Uh, the the uh, 
Can if I the, read the audiobook? That uh, would be amazing. Anyone but me. Like if, if, the condition, if the condition of their making an audiobook is I have to read it, there will not be an audiobook. Uh, well, no, if you well, would like to read, let me book. read yeah. the audiobook because there's going to be something like, nah, that's some bullshit. Audiobooks are nice. Audiobooks are nice when people throw in extra stuff. I don't know if, how many audiobooks you guys have listened to that, that you've also read, but uh, the audiobooks where, where you get extra stuff is always great. And a little bit more business. Hey, Number one, one mo thing this week was fantastic and ties into our topic later on uh, when we're talking about defense. Uh, but don't forget, go to the Jump Ball Twitch stream. Go watch Mo. He's doing this every single morning, 11 a.m. Pacific, Monday to Friday, twitch.tv slash Motokil underscore NBA. It's very simple, just like the Twitter handle. So it's easy to find. It made it easy for everybody, Dave, just keeping the handle all the same everywhere I go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that unfortunately, we're stuck with this this NBA thing in our in our name everywhere, but <laughs> it makes it easy. You know what we're talking about when you show up. You're not going to you're not going to go to his Twitch stream and have him talking about NASA. Eh, we get Although, that would be I'd be down for that. <laughs> we get into random conversations. Thermal dynamics. As with we're Mo getting Dekeel. into a random conversation. That's right. Let's, let, <laughs> we do tangents. All right. So we are committed on this show to spreading basketball positivity and talking about our favorite stuff at the start of every episode. So, of course, this week when Seth has this fantastic news, you know, his book is out, the, the release of the pressure of this whole book ordeal is over, and Seth... <laughs> has something that he doesn't like this week. Seth, go ahead. So there was a story that came out this morning. Uh, we're recording on Thursday, as as we usually do. A uh, story came out, ESPN, from Woj and Ramon Shelburne about the uh, prospective formation of uh, an executive's association, an NBA executive's association. It's not quite a GM union, but more of a like a professional cooperation organization that – uh, according to the reporting, involves uh, pooling of legal defense funds and PR resources. Uh, and the impetus for this, as reported, is the sort of fear and rise of top executives being fired for cause. Now, for cause has a very specific legal meaning. Usually when a top executive gets fired with years remaining on their contract, they get all their money. If someone gets fired for cause for, I don't know, a hostile workplace – or something of that nature. Um, now, oftentimes it's 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 uh, it's followed by litigation, but they don't you don't get your money if you get fired for a cause. And this has me hot for a number of different reasons. First of all, the fact that um, there are un- enough GMs who see people getting in trouble basically for being assholes at work, and like I need to protect myself from that. That that's a that's a huge warning bell just in my head right now. Just like so, what skeletons do you have in your closet? If you're worried, if this guy goes down, what what happens when they come for me? If you haven't been mistreating the intern, making sub minimum wage, what do you have to worry about? So that's 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 thing one. Thing two is the notion that this group of highly compensated people with expert agents 
um, who have, generally speaking, risen to the top of their profession with uh, a great degree of kind of bureaucratic and political infighting, that they are somehow babes in the woods that need to pull together legal defense and PR training to protect themselves in this way is absolutely laughable. When again, when when these workplaces go bad, it's not the top guys who get it. It's the interns, it's the coordinators, it's the film room, it's the support staff, it's the equipment people who bear the brunt of that hostility, that that misery. Um, and those are the people who need the protection. Those are the people who, you know, in the, the Phoenix Sun story that came out, like they feel like they can't go to HR. They, they have, do not have the resources. They do not have the professional network to bail them out of a bad situation. So that, that's part of it. The, another part is this is this is – just think about this. You're, you're pooling resources not to prevent these bad things from happening. You know, people often get elevated quickly to a management position where they have no real management training and management and uh, like kind of basket, like lower level basketball executive stuff. There's some differences like scouting and managing are two very different things. So yeah, there's some learning that goes on. So if we're going to pool resources to do something, how about that? How about like training to be a good manager, to foster a good culture, a good environment instead of, oh man, I have created a hostile work environment. Let me get some crisis PR to, to weasel my way out of this. It's maddening in the sense of this is a group that they're the decision makers anyways. They're the ones that set the environment with everything they do. Like go, oh, this is the one that needs the protection. Is, is kind of what's so silly about it. Like, look, when I was a video coordinator, there was always f going around like, hey, we should unionize. There was a spreadsheet of, uh, you know, us trying to figure out who's getting paid. We were trying to make sure there was a base compensation for everybody was relatively the same, all of those things. And, you know, it's like we're never going to unionize because all of us knew, like, they're just going to fire us as soon as they find out and replace us with somebody. And it was, you know, it's, it's along those lines, but these guys like the top, top level executives going into like, yeah, we need a union to protect ourselves. It's like, come on guys, like you're the ones that are the problem. And I think that's the big issue with everything you have going in this. And it's, and it's frustrating in a time like this. Obviously we know the situations with what's going on in Portland and, and, Phoenix and things like that. Like, what's next? A a, a a union for the owners? Like, we're 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 going to this kind of high level type of stuff, but we're not going to let the lower levels unionize. They're the ones that need the protections in terms of uh, work hours. Uh, you know, equipment guys and 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 the uh, physical nature of just moving the boxes around and things like that. Like, they're the ones that need to kind of work on the the workplace and how to get everything going and how to how to kind of keep. The, the the team running in in essence you know the the lifeblood of it they're the ones that need the protections not the guys up top who literally are making the decisions yeah an owners union it would be the the uh the most cynical thing that we could possibly come up with right let's do it why not everybody can, I mean, when you, you get a about, union you get a I mean, union <laughs> when you think about the way that people were talking you know when the clippers ownership was kind of forced to change and Mark Cuban talked about the slippery slope and things like that. You certainly can, can sit and draw out a line where you see it winding up there where the owners are looking for some sort of protection. That's more than just their financial ownership stake of a team. But Seth, back, back to your point, you know, 
how do you sell this as as a collective to the folks that you're going to be working with around the league? Because it certainly doesn't look good. Right. You, you can't. You don't. I've I've so this this came out this morning. Like the the story broke two and a half hours ago. I've gotten text calls, messages from people who work for a third of the teams in the league saying, What the hell is this? And we've we've talked in the last couple of weeks, and really over the years we've done this show, we've talked a lot about the importance of culture. And Mo said this last week, and I wanna I wanna to to reiterate it. Like the basis of culture is accountability. And this is nothing but an attempt to insulate from accountability. And so I, and just, just, just to, to like, to give an example of what, like what people are saying, here's a, here's a text I got from someone who, who uh, is a, you know, a mid-level exec at a team. It's like a professional association for lunch money stealers to share best practices on how to steal people's lunch money. Yeah. That's perfect. Like <laughs> that's wow. And, 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 and then get away with it. It goes back to a point that we've made numerous times on the show where we talk about the turnover in front offices. You know, an analytics department doesn't really work for the team. They kind of work for the GM. And if the GM is out, the analytics department, typically there's a lot of turnover, scouting departments, coaching staffs. These are the people who need unions or associations if we want to, you know, keep it out of the union realm. But these are the people. It's yep. the it's the rank and file. It's the assistant coach. They, they yeah, need the, the assistant resources. coach that makes eighty five thousand dollars a year to eat shit on the second row of the bench. It's not the guy making you know I don't know five or six million dollars a year to yell at interns because his coffee is cold. Yeah. So this is I've often used you know uh, uh, it's, it's a dated reference at this point, but there's a, Donnie Brasco was a movie about uh, you know mob that came back and there was a, there was a scene in it where a uh, point was made, your status is indicated by how you get introduced. You're you're someone worth knowing if if like the guy introduces you as a friend of mine. If you get introduced as a friend of ours, you're a made guy and you're untouchable. This is basically setting that system up. You're in this association, you're a made guy. There's that's already kind of de facto how it works. I mean, I think this is always this has always been aware of it. I mean, I think, you know, this is um you, you can accuse me of some lingering whatever about this because I was aware of this and I, Mo, I think you feel the same way. Like there's this line of being a made guy and I was never above that line. And you know, that's, that's fine. It's whatever you get to a certain level of professional accomplishment. That's fine. But just like enshrining that in something at a time where we're talking about, you know, better, better representation, wider access to kind of upward mobility and you're freezing this in place. And that's why people should care. Like on top of like the, the genuine human empathy of like of like you said, the assistant coach, or the the you know the video intern, or the 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 guy who who parks cars for the the players when they're on road trips. Um, it's a, it's a it, from a uh, from a fan standpoint, your team isn't putting the best product out there because they're they're the leadership is doing everything possible to insulate themselves from professional competition. There's 30 of these jobs in the world. You don't think we should be able to find 30 that can be people who can run an organization without violating you know HR civil rights laws what what have you and and can and as well as make re, like reasonable basketball decisions. You don't think that would be – that's a competitive advantage that your team is foregoing by 
by your by the GM being, I'm going to be as big an asshole as I want to be, and you can't do anything about it because I have these these hotshot lawyers and crisis PR firms at, at my beck and call to defend me. So that's my least. Well, I just want to throw week. one thing to update um, it because you went with the Donnie Brasco reference, and I think some of our listeners probably have never even heard of the movie, but they should go watch it. It's a great movie. I'm going to update it a little bit. There are a lot of Gregs from Succession in the NBA, in front offices, in in you know on staffs, and 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 probably like lower level Gregs in video rooms and things like that. People that are are almost a little bit in over their head with some of the stuff that they have to do and 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 try to deal with in that sense, and that's what kind of breeds this whole. Uh, situation that leads to this kind of somewhat of a toxic work environment and everything that goes along with it. And then that's the, uh, um, that's, that's the issue. And that's why it's kind of silly going like, okay, let's have a union to protect the Greg's of succession. And I want to be clear. And I think you agree with this, Mo, this isn't, this isn't about primarily or at all the teams we've worked for anyone we know in the industry that's been a lower level person has these stories of being treated like ass and that being sort of accepted and you, and and you kind of live with it and go on. And the mere fact that that might be changing has scared people. And this is sort of a, a reaction to that. And that just pisses me off. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman as seen recently styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, I think we can move on, and, and there will be more reporting on this as it develops, so stay tuned to The Athletic for that. Uh, guys, my favorite thing this week is the Washington Wizards. <laughs> I, look, so, there's no easy there's sunshine no easy and light. Yeah, there's no ch- I was like, that. I was like, well, oh, no, no, I, I, guys. I, so I, I do think, so I do think that there's this, there's a transition here because, um, you know, I've I've met Tommy Shepard. I know people who work for Tommy Shepard. Yeah, like, and, and you talk about a positive, collaborative, organizational culture. Why the Wizards have been able to do some of these things because everyone gets along with yep. Tommy. Everyone in and, the league, and, and by the way, about, not just everybody in the yeah. Wizards. You will be hard pressed to find a single person to say anything bad about Tommy Shepard. Plain and simple. And 
again, you want to talk about competitive advantage? Like there it is right there. Like you could be, you could, you could have someone who everyone hates to deal with it, but it's really smart. Or you could have the got one, everyone like, yeah, sure. We can talk about that. And, and who knows? Then you end up with Daniel Gafford for free. And, you know, well, he did such a great job. And, and I mean, this is not going to be a Tommy Shepard podcast, although it very easily could be, but he did just get an extension. That, that news came out today. Listen, um, if you look at the job that he's done since taking that team over, he was winning stuff on the margins. I mean, even the Russell Westbrook trade where he, he moves John Wall out, that was a win for them. And then to turn Russell Westbrook into KCP, Trez Harrell, and Kyle Kuzma, all three of whom are contributing big time for this team. Tommy Shepard should be getting buzz. I don't really care about these sorts of awards, but if we're looking right now at who has done the best job of executing, I think that Tommy's got to be the front runner, right? Executing, executing, is the executing. Word. <laughs> as the professional words. <laughs> we're gonna, as we're the professional wordsmith here. Execute. Dude writes one book and now he's all of a suddenly correcting grammar on a pod. Man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, we're gonna we're gonna call that cold Look fog in the brain. But, uh, but I think the wizards—they're such a great story um, because, as you know, the the story came out when they where were they like four and zero or something like that, and Bradley Beal and Trez Harold. Uh, Tress Harrell were, were at the presser and they were talking about we're the wizards, bruh. We just don't win and they're winning. It's fun. Um, and, and of course they lost last night, but you know uh, we, we don't care about one game here. We care about the, the bigger picture and they're doing some stuff well, but they're doing, and we're going to talk about defense later. They're winning games on the defensive end. And this is a team that was only able to win with offense last season, uh, even the last two years. And so when their offense starts to figure it out, which I think it will, they might be in the mix for home court. Is it possible that they've gotten enough of a head start? That's an interesting thought. Um, I do want to, I want to disagree with you a little bit there. Like when they had their big run in the second half of last season, it was a lot about their defense getting better. And it wasn't, it, you know, there's a couple things that happened. One, like the first part of the season where their defense was awful. Like they were, they were the team that was getting beaten with the variant stick in terms of opponent three-point shooting. And then that, that normalized. But the other thing is, is, you know, you bring in Daniel Gafford and, 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 you know, Robin Lopez and, and, and they, they, uh, um, the bigs they were playing at the start of the year were like Mo Wagner and Thomas Bryant, who are two of the worst defensive centers in the league. And then you go to Gafford and Robin Lopez, and uh, you get, you go from like no rim protection to very good rim protection. So those two things combined to give them a defensive identity at the second half of last year. And I think that's continued into this year. Um, you know, shout out to Kyle Kuzma for, for turning himself into a really like versatile, good like role player defender who can fill a lot of different roles. Like he's a guy who, who kind of got, got sucked into sort of the, the Laker prospect hype beast machine early in his career and has turned himself into like a really nice, I think winning player. No, it, yeah. It's what, what he's done is a great, you know, story really just in terms of working and, and, and really busting his ass and, and, and becoming a very solid player. I'm going to say one thing, Dave, the East is way too tight. For, for to be yeah, thinking like so I mean, yeah. just now, and this is Thursday morning, so it's gonna. Ch- I mean, literally, it's going to change tomorrow in a way, <laughs> depending on how things going. But they are just really up one game on being six or fifth or whatever. So like, it's still really early on. They haven't stacked enough of a lead, I should yeah. say, in that and with that's everything fair. that's coming. But 
they are a lot of fun to watch. And the thing is, too, is they've won a lot of close games, right? And so eventually, like, maybe that evens out or whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, they've gone to double overtime, you know, against the Celtics and win that game. Like, there's always a lot of really tight, tight games that they're in. And the key, key thing is they're pulling them out. And they're doing it really, as Seth was saying, on the, the merits of their defense. And the other thing when we talk about last season for them, we also got to remember this is one of the early teams that got smacked with COVID. You know, and and had to had to sit out a bunch of uh, uh, games where you know they had to sit out. I think it was like a week. It was like ten days or something. That yeah, they I didn't mean, like play they, a game? they didn't play yeah. a game. You know, and that and and that means you didn't practice either because guys had COVID and things like like it's kind of when you kind of look at it compared to last season, it's a, a lot more stability. But the trade itself, and when we talk about Tommy Shepard, like I was skeptical when they made the trade. I was like, oh wow, like maybe this is the first of a move to rebuild but the fact that they turn Westbrook into three or four guys I mean they get Dinwiddie as part of that trade as well like it's it's really boosted this team in a way where I probably I thought they were ready to go and hey I they're definitely to me a a, a play-in team and 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 that was gonna be the thing after that but like they're a team that can actually be in the top six maybe not home court but they could be in the top six in the East, especially if a team like Boston continues to struggle with the way they're playing and things that are going there. But I'm going to go to you with my favorite thing, because this is a team that's going to shoot up the standings here. Now that they're healthy, the Milwaukee Bucks yes. are ready to roll. Uh, you saw it last night. I was at this game last night. I was at that game Humble last brag, night. Huh? Um, <laughs> uh, man, that Giannis put on a show in the first half of that game. Like he he folded Anthony Davis up into a little ball and put him in the basket in the first half of that game. And, and did it, it all was, night. It was as all night. En- yeah, as energetic and enthused right. as I've seen and, him. You know, all that season. was Chris Middleton's first game back. Now, not the, obviously like took him a little while, but then hit big shots at the end of the third quarter, started the fourth quarter, kind of ended a couple of runs for the Lakers with two threes and things like that. Like they look this is the Bucks we're waiting for. We've, you know, everybody's like, "What's wrong with the Bucks?" We're, we've all been saying it. They're injured, you know, and they're doing right. this still without Brooke Lopez. And, and but just getting Middleton back and now having your big three kind of helps to fold things in. Grayson Allen doesn't have to play as big a role as he did before. So as of the recording, they're seven and eight. They just won last night against the Lakers. Going to shoot up the standings, Dave. I am very excited for this. I, I agree with you there. And they yeah. were I, 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 every week. I have a short list of my favorite things, which is about 10 things long. And Chris Middleton coming back was like number three for me because all year we're going to have guys missing time with COVID as a human being. It's just nice to see that guy running up and down the court. Yeah. And you know, like I can talk about how great it is to see the bucks whole and they're not whole yet, but they're going to be. Uh, but the truth is I'm just glad to see Chris Middleton being able to play basketball and um, to, to add on to that with what Giannis was able to do against Anthony Davis in particular, where he was putting his head down and going at his chest that felt, I mean, that felt like a statement from Giannis uh, a, Hey, don't forget. I'm still that dude. At at night after Steph had a uh, MVP like performance in Brooklyn, just kind of reminding everybody of like, Hey, I'm not so bad myself. 
a couple of killers, man. A couple of killers. Uh, speaking of killers, can, can, I, can I add? Can I add? A, can I add a favorite thing as yes. well from that game? Yes, if I can. And this is since we're talking about bringing joy. Like um, a lot of games that I've I've watched and been to this year um, have been the crowd has been sort of subdued. Last night in Fiserv, it was very different vibe. Part of that, you know, you play the Lakers. It's always kind of live because there's a lot of Laker fans there. But it was that, and then. You get like the fan favorite thing, like you saw it in uh, in 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 Staples, still Staples for now. Don't get me don't be started on that. Um, when Alex Crusoe, you know, came in and like the big like that fan favorite thing, and somehow Bobby Portis is that guy in in Milwaukee right now, and like the pop he gets in just a wrestling standpoint when he there was one sequence where he had like a steal and four offensive rebounds in a row that led to eventually him getting a layup and let then a timeout and just like the, the, and then he kind of hooked up to the crowd. And that's like, that's, that was like playoff fourth quarter run loud. And that's really the first time in three years. I feel like I've been in a building where that's happened and that's fun just to, just to get that sort of that, that adrenaline of that kind of collective joy back again. Yeah. It was a super fun game. If you like watching the Bucks, I mean, they were really just all over the place. There was some of those, the possession where, I don't know, Bobby Porter's got what, three offensive rebounds on one possession? Is that the one that yeah, you're thinking yeah, of? Yeah. He, yeah. He just like stole the inbound pass and then got a bunch yes. of offensive rebounds. Yeah. The energy. And it's funny that a guy like Bobby Portis has become this energy guy, but he's actually good. I mean, he's blocking shots defensively. He's just all over the place. Um, I don't know. Bobby Portis. Needs to retire a, a Milwaukee Buck. I think like that's what I need. He's so great there. Today's episode is brought to you by Giorgio Armani Aqua Di Gio Parfum, a long-lasting and deeply intense men's fragrance that captures the powerful sensations of nature. The woody aquatic scent features notes of bergamot, clary sage, and patchouli, which create an intensity that is vibrant and aromic. Discover more at GiorgioArmaniBeauty.com. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Okay, now, speaking of killers, Seth, you don't quite kill Russell Westbrook in your book, but we should talk about this excerpt from your book that is over at The Athletic, which you can read now. And of course, the mid-range theory available wherever you buy books right now. Uh, Seth, why do you hate Russell Westbrook? We we should add that the excerpt is outside the paywall. So even if right. you're not it is for a subscriber to the yes. athletic, uh, so please go read it and then go buy Seth's book and then ask him on Twitter why he hates Russell Westbrook. I, I'm looking here, <laughs> Seth, and, and this is my takeaway, right? Is that you're saying that the triple double doesn't matter and that his MVP is undeserved. Is that is that accurate? Um no, I think that's thing. that's a that's a uh, very Dufour like exaggeration of of, of, what I, <laughs> of of what I said. Um, no, I mean I think it's 
So there's a, there's a, a concept uh, that, that that it's an economics concept called Goodhart's law, which is the the, the chapter I'm writing about, it, and it basically says when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a useful measure. In sports terms, it's basically saying don't play the drill. So in back in the day, you know, when triple doubles first became a thing, we're trying to figure out, hey, how would we say this guy's all around dominant? Man, he ended up with. You know this, 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 this. You know, twenty twelve and twelve. Like, what do we have? Triple double. Um, and that's that. That was a way to express. And that's a you know, if you're if you're just playing the game and that's what you end up with, that is a really good indicator that you were massively awesome in that game. Now, imagine a situation where you're having a pretty good game, and then you're like, mm, I have I have eight assists, and if I get two more, people will think that's awesome. And then the way you play the rest of the game is you're not playing basketball. You're playing to get two assists. Like those assists aren't bad. You're not – you might be hurting the team a little to be honest because you can you can selfishly play make sort of the same way you can selfishly try to score. But it's not it, – you're not generating that in the same way as you would be if you were just playing the game. And some of some of especially on a rebounding side in in Westbrook's triple doubles years, um, you you look at the kind of the the free rebounds where the offense just runs back on the floor. Russell Westbrook got all of those, and Stephen Adams got none. But if you really look at who was more impactful, who would who was whose playing time was better associated with the Thunder rebounding well defensively, Westbrook didn't do anything to affect that really, even with his massive totals, where Steven Adams was one of the best in the league at when he's on the floor, they got, they got all the defensive rebounds. Um, so that's, that, that's just, it's not that, it's not that he was having bad games. It's just that the, the sort of the round number fetishization of the triple double overstated how good he had been to a degree. Mo, let me ask you, when you have a guy who, I'm not going to call, say it was stat chasing, even though certainly there was a little bit of that. You don't get as many triple doubles as Russ got in that season. I mean, and has gotten since without a little bit of stat chasing. But how does that affect the team? Like, does it detract from the, the team aspect of the game? Or do you, you feel like in the NBA superstar driven league, everyone just kind of falls in line? I think it's a little bit of everybody falls in line, but it also coincides with you got to be winning. And, you know, when you look at that team, when Russ won the MVP, that team had no business being in the playoffs. Like, that was not a good team. Like, we can talk all day, Russ stat padding, whatnot, or things like that. If Russ didn't pad his stats and get those numbers and all of the things, that team's in the lottery now. Like, that, in my honest opinion, that was my prediction for them at the start of that year, you know? And, and you know, when people go... Like I get, I cringe when people are like, "Russ should have won that MVP." Like, and and it's really because they're just so pissed off about the triple doubles, right? And I have a whole opinion here on tri- triple doubles being kind of a a bullshit stat for a little bit of a different reason, which we can get into later. The fact was he was unbelievable that year in crunch time, and willed that team to win a ton more games than they sh- than they should have, you know. And and so that to me was like that's why he's the MVP, not the numbers, not the triple doubles and things like that. It was that it was that team would have lost 90% of those crunch time games. If it wasn't for Russ going into that stuff. Now, granted some of it's hero ball and you guys know, I hate hero ball, but sometimes you need the hero, (laughs) you know, when you have the team that they had, like it was 
pre Paul George. KD just left. It was, you know, his his next best guy was like Andre Robinson or, or Robertson. It was, you know, you had like it's you, you, Stephen Adams. Like you needed to be that guy, um, and he was the hero they needed at that time. In in that, so to be like to be fair, saying that like. <clears throat> This is this is sort of one of the funny things about kind of NBA discourse is saying actually I think Rush should have finished second in the MVP that year. Like that's in no way denying that he had an amazing impactful right. season. Just like, <laughs> right. I, I, I thought like I thought I just How thought like for, I thought I, I thought just kind of for for similar reasons to be fair like in terms of of driving a somewhat limited team to an amazing season. I thought James Harden had what was the most valuable player that season contemporaneously. Other people thought it was Kawhi Leonard for his his kind of two way play, and those were all three like all all three of those guys had a a tremendous season and which one of them you preferred for MVP says almost more about what you find, what you think is valuable than it does about like any of the individual players. So it's not like saying that, you know, okay, again, it's hard to have a bad game when you have 27, 12 and 12, like, well, you counter that like with there's, thirteen turnovers, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, the, but, the, but there's but there's some there's some where it's just like you have the game in the palm of your hand, twenty seven, twelve, and twelve. Right. And there's some where you had a pretty good game and you just ended up with you know a couple rebounds hit you in the face and you know and you got a couple assists in garbage time in a game your team lost by or not garbage time, but like you know that that sort of wind down of the game when you're in a game, your team loses by seven or something like that. Like those are different before. And we, and we know that. Um, but so it's, it's, again, that's, that's, you know, when Dave says, I bristle a little when Dave says, why do you hate? Because I, 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 I mean, did not like the obvious. Lakers. If you read the, I, if you read the chapter over at the athletics, it's very obvious that, I mean, Seth is not quite gushing about Russell Westbrook, but giving him a lot of credit. Uh, I just, you know, I just like to rile you up. Yeah. I, d- I did not like the Lakers acquiring him. But that's a whole other well, can, and can that has uh, yeah, you're looking pretty good for that one. Um, any anything else here, uh, Mo? Before before we move on, I just want to touch. This is my problem with the triple doubles. I might have said Please. this before yeah. on the oh, uh, yeah. on on other podcasts or whatever. We continually account assists wrong. Okay, the way we count assists are so terrible these days. I feel like I get an assist just by showing up at the game, not even checking in. We've I'm seeing it more and more now too. Like when you go through the box scores and, and see the assists and you go look at the assist, it's, all right, I pass it to the guy on the wing, catch, pump fake, jab step, pump fake, jab step, then drive, you know, into a reverse layup. And the pass happened seven seconds ago. And, you know, that's an assist because the guy took two dribbles. We need to change how we're judging assists because now at the point we're giving these things out. And I don't know what it was like in the old days. Maybe it was always this this way. But to me, an assist leads directly to a basket, you know, in the situation. And sometimes it may take three dribbles or whatever, but it's a direct pass that leads to a basket. And I think the way we're accounting it now, it's like, I'm seeing guys catch it in the post, two dribble, back down, shimmy, fade away, assist. It's like, no, that's not an assist. I'm sorry. That's 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 my little rant. That's why I, I have problems now with some of the triple doubles. 
So um, I, I just want to back more up on this. Like some of this is actually demonstrable and it's a home, it's a hometown thing. Back when uh, when you could get like detailed information on like uh, shot logs on, on NBA.com with the tracking data and you could see how long a player had had the ball before every shot and how long – how many dribbles they'd taken. You could actually look and see like, okay, he had the ball for 1.7 seconds and took two dribbles and made a shot and an assist was awarded. You could see kind of across all those – that combination of two, of two factors, how often assists were given. And for the ones they should be given, which is you know two seconds and one dribble under two seconds and under two dribbles. So that's a re- two, two and a half seconds and, and a dribble. It's a reasonably good approximation for directly to the basket. Both teams got those pretty consistently. Now for the three seconds and two dribble, the road team got those like 5% of the time and the home team got them like 20% of the time. So that's where some of these like cheapies are coming in. I didn't, I, I never broke it down to the point of who was benefiting from those. But I think we know who probably was benefiting from those, and it was like the star point guard John for the Stockton, home team, probably. Right? Like, oh, if we that, so that's assist, <laughs> that could be a whole. I'm not doing that. Well, um, so the, the, the funny, the funny thing is, is, is that comes up, and like Utah people get mad, and there's been actual studies about it. That well, he actually had more assists on the road. <laughs> okay. Listen, Europe um, in Europe they do it right. Um, they're stingy with assists as they should be. Um, basketball is a team sport. But let's not uh, ignore what the individual does on their own because that's there's a lot of artistry there. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. I teased this earlier and it took us a while to get here. But guys, defense is up in the NBA. It feels like the last few years we keep saying offense is up. Offense is up. Wow. Wow. Is defense broken in the NBA? Yeah, the defense is fixed, guys. When you look around the league at the way teams are defending, it's better. Just better. It's easier to watch. NBA defense is confusing, especially to novices, which is why so many people are confused when they're watching defense whose assignment a guy was. Oh, who blew this coverage? Who didn't rotate? It's confusing. If there's a blow-by at the top of the key... And you've got help at the basket. And the guy is late. Whose fault is it? I mean, I know Mo has tried to hammer this point home. But, but, not, but not to relitigate the, uh, the the Utah Clippers series from, yeah. from last playoffs. <laughs> so uh, most people only see the result of a play and, and not the lead up. Or maybe they just ignore it. But most defensive possessions in the NBA are actually lost on the perimeter. You collapse a defense with dribble penetration. You force teams to rotate with cutting and passing. And all of that is to get defenses to scramble so you can lead to open threes, shots at the basket. But when I'm looking at the top five defense in the league right now, and this has been a rim protection league for a little while, do any of the top five teams have what you guys would call an elite rim protector? Aiton is pretty good. But I'd say Gafford's pretty Gafford's good. Gafford's pretty good. But 
it to me when I look at the teams in that in that top five, the Warriors, the Clippers, yep. and now the Nuggets are weird, but they're in the top five. Warriors, Clippers, Nuggets, Wizards, and Suns, they are starting their defense 30 feet from the basket, and they're winning out there, Mo. Yeah, no, uh, I think it's uh, – first off, defense is hard for people to fully understand the concepts of it. Um, the way we talk about pace, where guys, teams run offense faster, cut faster, cut harder, and things like that, is kind of the way we talk about the defense, picking up higher, forcing the offense to run their to run their plays further out, you know, and, and, and stretch them out and things like that. Like, that's the stuff with that. So when you're saying teams are picking them up 35 feet be- – before the rim like that's the thing right push this team to run late into the shot clock and things like that give your defense a better chance and stretch out their plays and and movement and things like that defense is incredibly hard right and you know like it was a topic of my one more thing this week was just the Warriors one defensive possession and just all the rotations they made in it and the thing about it in those rotations was everybody was leaving before the ball got there, right? And it's what I talk about all the time. You got to be in early to get out quicker. And 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 what I mean by that is if you're reacting, it's over. And a lot of times, you know, the, the, the defense, especially in that in those clips from the Warriors, was everybody was being proactive and getting to those, those passes and r- running to their rotations and just trusting the guy behind them. And I think that's a big thing. All of those teams you're talking about, all, you can just see it right now. All trust each other defensively and understand where they're going to be. They know that if I go here, the other guy is going to do his job. And if he doesn't, coach is going to get on him for not doing his job, not me. And you see it a lot of times in the rotations because I'll see it where I see rotations break down where it's guys who literally go and they're looking for the next rotation, not understanding where they need to go next. And I think that's what makes defense so incredibly tough to even judge and, and, and understand for fans. But that's what these teams are doing so well. First is having that trust and then picking them up higher, forcing the offense to run their offense further away from the basket. So I'm glad you, you spotlighted the Warriors. Um, if, if people have a chance and access, uh, I believe it was last Friday when the Warriors played the Bulls. Yeah. The third quarter of that game was uh, the Warriors were an absolute clinic defensively. Now, some of it was like some poor offense. Chicago threw the ball around the gym a little bit. But to to reiterate Mo's point about like being places early, this was a tremendous defense where I'm not sure a player on Golden State sprinted once on defense that quarter because they were all so early to be in the right spots. They were all so ahead of the play. Um, I described, I wrote a thread about it on Twitter and I described it, you know, a team that's playing defense that way, it looks like they have eight guys on the court and none of them are moving. And defense played at that level is it's the defensive equivalent of the beautiful game Spurs, basically. And it's, it was really just, just, just stupendous to watch. And like you said, Mo, it's, it's everyone knowing not just where they need to be, but when they need to be there. And getting there, so they're not—they're not off balance. They're not sprinting. They're not—they're not visibly efforting. They're just, there's just you, you, the the offense is like there's nothing here. I have no advantage. I have no way to no way to do anything. Um, I have I have another point, but I know you want to say something, Dave. But well, I, have, I have one. I, I want to just talk about the Warriors' defense, but but go ahead and finish, do your next point. No, so I I think the 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 other the other part is the um 
you know, you're talking about people starting from the perimeter. I think one of the things we've talked about over the last couple of years is how, how because of like the, the, you know, the, the BS foul drawing and the way offenses have been allowed to set screens, it's been too easy to create an advantage from the perimeter. And I think that like allowing just that little bit more physicality on the perimeter, like I don't think we want to go back to like full hand checking, steering a guy, but just like letting Alex Caruso chest a guy over the top of a screen with his hands back and the guy not be able to flail his arms up in the air and, and, and go to the, go to the free throw line. Just that makes it harder to create those advantages, makes it easier for teams to get into people, to be in the right spots, to not collapse, to not scramble. Um, so I think that that's been one of the real successes of, of the rule emphasis changes is it's allowed that it's allowed, it's allowed the point of attack defender to have a chance. Well, basketball is not a contact sport, but it is physical. And I think that that's what we're seeing right now is it's not the contact that we used to watch in the 80s, but they are allowed to actually be physical defensively. And you're seeing that defenses have a chance now. But back to the Warriors. So Mike Brown is running this defense. And Mo, I mean, he's been a good defensive coach, I mean, as a head coach even. Um what in the hell is he doing? They're not running an amoeba defense, but that defense has turned into an amoeba. They're sometimes sliding in. I don't know if you saw the triangle and two they were running, box and one. I mean, they're just doing, they're changing schemes mid-possession sometimes. I mean, they're just not being stuck in, in playing one way defensively in, in everything that they're doing. They're able to adjust defensively. Like the way I talk about offense, right? I love the versatility on offense. Now you're seeing it on the defensive end with the Warriors and everything they're able to kind of throw at you. That's not easy. Like that takes a high level, high IQ team to fully be able to pick that stuff it takes up. It's a dream on green. It does. But it, but more than just <laughs> one guy, it takes, yeah. a, it takes several of those guys. Cause it's, yeah. cause as great as Draymond is, and he can, uh, can sort of, uh, you know, quarterback at all, you need the other guys to understand what he's saying. And I think that's where they've gotten along those lines. It's something that they couldn't do last year with those guys. These kids have gotten, first, they've upped the level of talent. I think they have, at least IQ-wise, Iguodala helps a ton. Um, I think Porter's pretty pretty smart when he's on the court and healthy. I think, like, they've just upped the IQ level to a degree, and then it helps them to be able to get to that. But just the versatility, everything they're able to do and throw at teams – it's awesome, you know, and they could see and they could look and go, hey, okay, cool. They only have two short shooters on the court, triangle and two. Only one, box and one. All right, we're going to go, man, they got more than that. Like, just being able to jump back and forth and not having anybody be, oh, crap, I was in zone. I didn't know we switched to man type situations. Like, they don't have that many errors like that. And it's pretty impressive that they've put that all together there. And being able to have Draymond Green and Gary Payton on the court at the same time, uh, <laughs> that just doesn't feel fair. You've got two centers um, who are under six, five. Like, <laughs> I mean, what do you do to that? I, I mean, how do, how do teams counter this? Cause this looks like, I mean, I, I don't see how this defense really falls off. Uh, you know, they're going to upgrade their personnel when they get clay Thompson back, at, at least from an IQ standpoint, you're adding one of the smartest defenders uh, of the last five or six years back to what is the best defense in the league. This defense looks like it should hold up for playoffs. Only thing I worry about with them is lack of size in the middle, but it hasn't been an issue yet. So how do teams counter this defense? How do you beat it, Mo? I think the first thing is you got to have a lot more movement and not just ball movement, but player movement, right? Like 
it's funny. I'm almost seeing less cuts than 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 we have in the past, right? Like you need to have multiple cuts on possessions and things like that. I think that's the 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 starting point there because they're great. They're awesome with their rotations, and it's because they know the spots you're trying to stay in. And that's why you as an offense have to provide, okay, fine, you think I'm just going to stay at the the above-the-break three on the weak side? No, I'm cutting. This guy's going to lift. Let's see how you handle that and, and that type of movement and things like that. I think that's the key to it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and sort of one of the, the things that they've done a lot, and, and we talked about their centers, I think you know, Kevon Looney has been fantastic for them defensively as well. Um, <clears throat> but a lot of their defense is kind of, he's sort of almost like the, you know, the the the, the, the 2008, like Tom Thibodeau style, like strong side overload. And like what Mo said about like cuts, like, okay, he goes to do that. Like there's space like right behind him and like kind of cutting into that space. Or uh, just, and just using kind of some other misdirection because they're because they're so like locked in and pre-rotating, you, you might be able to fake them into into jumping to one side and then a quick ball reversal, and they're actually in a scramble because they're they're sort of so on point reacting to the action you're faking that now they're out of position when you when you kind of go to the counter. And we got that's again, that's, you know, you're talking about having, you know, like a lot of high field players to execute the defense. You need to have a lot of high field players to execute that offensively because that's, that's, you know, you need to have guys on the second side who are like credible playmakers to, to make that work. Yes. You need a smart offense to take advantage of that. But one thing we haven't even mentioned his name yet, and he's been great defensively for them, has been Steph Curry this year. Like, he's been awesome. In the game you're talking about, Seth, the, the Chicago game, I could have pulled, by the way, eight different clips from the third quarter of that game and, and used that as my one more thing. Their thing that they're doing, like with him, is he's just fighting so much more. And maybe that's come with some of the muscle he's added and things like that. But he's switching on the screen, switching on to Zach Levine and stonewalling him, switching on to James Harden, poking the ball away and diving for the loose ball. Like, his level of intensity defensively, this year has been a real surprise. Not he was always an okay defender, you know, would be in the right spots and stuff like that. But this year, it's a lot more fight than I've ever seen from him, and I've been impressed by that. I just wanted to touch on that yeah. because I felt like we, if we're going to talk to defense, we had to give him a little bit of love. He had also, a great on-ball rip uh, in that Brooklyn game. I mean, it, and it, you could see the added strength. And, and I think Steph has been an underrated strong guy. I mean, he was he was one of the strongest guys in their weight room during their this whole run and so to see him actually using that and not fouling with with some of the awful fouls that Steph has had I mean the fouls and turnovers with Steph Curry if I was nitpicking I could be here all day but I think that the strength is helping him added physicality with the change in officiating is helping him quite a bit and now you're getting to see how much of a high IQ defensive player Steph Curry is as well, because he's always been a great team defender. And now he's able to defend a little bit more freely on the ball. Uh, look, he's the best player in the league right now. And and he's always had great hands defensively. And, and, you know, a lot of those plays Mo was talking about, like he had his hand on the ball so often in that, you know, and that's not necessarily stoning his guy and taking the ball away. It's just like, you know, he's, his, his his feel for relocation to find his threes on offense, he's using that on defense to, ooh, the, the pocket pass is going to be here. Let me get my hand in there. Right. Tip it away, and now we're going the other well, he's way. Free safety defensively yeah. so often away from the ball. And, and I mean, he he's now able to use that a little bit more effectively 
when he's guarding the ball one-on-one. It's it's actually nice to see. And I, I just think that this is now a defense you can't ISO on Steph. They've just they've kind of figured that out. Ste- oh, Steph is too strong now. Good luck. It's fun. I, I don't know. I think the Warriors, uh, they're feeling like the favorites. Ben Taylor is going to have to come back on and uh, high step to the end zone. No, 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 so no. You're, we you're, don't allow so high stepping on our podcast unless it's one of us three. And, you know, one of us no, wrote a fair. book. He gets the high that's step fair. for the next month or so. Oh, well, I think Dave should get the high step for his uh, his um, his prediction for the first pod the three of us ever did together coming true. Oh, finally. Several years late. <laughs> yeah, several years well, late. I, but it's you okay. Know, guys, I just got to say, you know, I saw the vision. Um, and, and it helps when you put good players around Steph Curry. Any, all right. Maybe, Let's maybe get the Lakers should try uh, that. Yeah. You guys got anything else before we uh, wrap up for the week? Nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Listen, the basketball has been fantastic. I think that the, the officiating, and I don't want to harp on this every week, but, man, it's just such a fun game to watch. Uh, and it's really nice that the Warriors are really good again. This is this is like my happy place as far as basketball goes. Uh, guys, don't forget, go to theathletic.com slash NBA show. $3.99 a month right now. Go and buy The Mid-Range Theory wherever you buy your books, hopefully an independent bookseller. Go and subscribe to twitch.tv slash modakil underscore NBA. He's doing breakdowns every single morning, Monday through Friday. Is that it? Anything else, guys? All right. For Seth and Mo, I'm Dave. We'll catch you guys next week on the Athletic NBA Show. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.